I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Monday, March 18, 2019. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. We actually have a wide variety of things to discuss. We have some things for the nutty and crazy and bonkers like myself, and then we have some for the sane and rational folks. Both will provide a learning exercise. Just for starters, as a broad stroke, and it should be pretty obvious by now, the market finished pretty bullish across the board. When we look across all the markets and we look at the closing prints, it really was a bullish day. We continue to push higher. It is the wall of worry. We are climbing the wall of worry. So before we get in any deeper into some nutty and crazy stuff and then some of the sane stuff... Let's explain a little bit about why this is now into the wall of worry and where we really are in terms of getting into the possible melt-up slash vacuum scenario. Now, when I say that, and I'm going to explain that further, when I say that, you have to understand, they're not going to just run right up to some number and that's the end of it. They don't make it that easy. They have to toy around with everybody first or they'll just take off one day on a big gap hire and not let anybody in, and they'll just do the deed all the way up to what is now known as the hot zone. I'm going to discuss that whole thing a little bit more. Before I do that, let me pause and thank everybody for participating, making comments and posts underneath the video each and every night. I love the interaction, and you know I especially love the banter back and forth. In addition, if it's worthy, please hit the thumbs up button on the video and share the video with anybody you think would benefit from this information. All right, back to business. Here's one of the big reasons why we could be, could be is the operative two words, but could be in a melt-up scenario. So when you go back to this day is the 10th of October, that's one day of activity. Now, that was a rodeo day, and there are definitely some support areas in between, and there would be some support areas if we look left on the chart. We're not going to do that now, and I should say resistance, support on the way down, resistance on the way back up. However, there are important numbers, and we'll just leave it at that. On the way back up, the market cut through them on the way down like a hot knife through butter. That doesn't mean there wasn't anything there. Inside the numbers members will have target prices for exits on the way up that are somewhere in between. However, when you look at it from the daily perspective, you can see that was just a single meltdown. So there's nothing to say that we can't react in the same fashion on the way back up. A melt up. So therefore, to me, that's just common sense. Doesn't have to happen that way, but why can't it happen that way? It certainly can. Back to the center here for a little bit and just have an awareness of where we are. We're in an uptrend on the daily chart. We're above all the moving averages. The market continues to push higher. There's no sign of any sellers whatsoever. There will be, but right now the trend is your friend until the very end and the markets can always go in either direction a lot farther than anybody ever realizes. We've certainly discussed that time and time again. It just remains the case. 
It happened in December on the way down. It's happening now on the way back up. Nobody thought the market would be up here. Certainly two weeks ago, four weeks ago, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Nobody. Here we are. Price is the absolute arbiter. What else do we have on the docket this week? We've got the Fed. So it's always the anticipation of the Kabuki Theater. They start a meeting tomorrow. That's Tuesday. They conclude a meeting on Wednesday. They come out with an interest rate decision. The market whips around for a little while. And then whatever the market does after that is as a result of whatever the Fed did say or didn't say, left out of a comment, left out of a sentence, whatever the case is, that's what we have to work with. It is what it is. As you know, some of that's tongue-in-cheek, but in reality, that is what happens. Speaking of the Fed, I'm going to take a little detour. I did turn on the TV today because all we heard in the market this afternoon was crickets. So I'm watching a little bit of CNBC, and they happen to have a former Fed president from, I don't remember exactly where, it doesn't matter, and he's discussing inflation. He's discussing the Federal Reserve's inflation targets. Their inflation target is 2%. His argument is the Fed hasn't achieved their inflation target yet. Therefore, they shouldn't be raising rates and they should be lowering rates and all this stuff. And we can debate that till the cows come home. The point that I want to bring home is nobody ever asked this question. Why is inflation good? I get it that certain inflation is good, wage inflation is good, but when everything else costs more, it's not good. So unless your wage inflation is outpacing the cost increase of everything else due to inflation, if we have inflation, if the Fed is trying to drive inflation, why is that a good thing? Help me understand that. Again, some of that's rhetorical. I do understand economics to a certain degree. And there's a lot I don't understand because I think a lot of it just doesn't flat out make any sense. And when I say that, I'm really referring to the academic end of economics, the theory behind a lot of the what they argue drives an economy, drives a market, this, that, and the other thing. I think a lot of it is just that. I think it's theory. I think it's unprovable. Therefore, I think a lot of it is just a waste of time. And by the way, just to wrap up the inflation conversation, I understand that inflation, specifically stock market inflation, is good for everybody in the stock market, but we all have to realize most people are not in the stock market. Some have maybe an arm's length relationship with the stock market through a pension, through a retirement account that they don't really control, but the large majority of people out there really don't have exposure to the stock market, so any stock market inflation doesn't impact them, but real goods inflation does. So I'm open to ideas how inflation helps those people. All right, let's circle back to some crazy stuff. So look at the close today, 282.33. Here's what I find interesting, and this is only for people that are as bonkers as I am. So here's the high over here. This was the recent high, not the closing high, but the recent intraday high, 282.38. So we closed below that number by a nickel. Okay, fair enough. What happens if I go down to a 10-minute chart? What happened at the end of the day? Look at this. Where was the market just 20 minutes before the end of the day? The closing print 20 minutes before the end 
was 281.98. So in terms of S&P points, that's about four points or so, five points from where it needed to be to have that closing print high. But look what happened intraday. So here's a 10-minute chart. Look where the 10-minute chart closed, 282.39. Remember the daily chart print? The daily chart print was 282.38. So at 4 p.m., we closed one penny above that number. That can't be an accident or a coincidence. And then by the time things settled out, which they give it about 15 minutes, so things settle out at 4.15, at that time, we close at 282.33. What do we do with that information? We don't do anything with that information in particular. I just find it interesting. It's games that are being played. We can laugh at the games, but we can always take something away from the information. Here's what you take away from the information. Make no mistake about it. The numbers are important. Now, that number in particular, 282.38, may or may not be important. I'm not saying it is. But we can see that numbers are important. The market knows that certain numbers are important. The market respects certain numbers that are important. We see it over and over and over again. And that's what we can draw away from when we see things like that happen. It further supports the case that I'm not completely out of my mind. What's the flip side right now? From a short-term basis, what would be the bear case? Well, we're not sure where the market's going to open up Tuesday morning, but as I sit here Monday night just looking at things, assuming for a second things were quiet, what would be the bogey on the downside? What would be the support area where I would expect the market to be supportive? And what would I not want to see the market close below if I was bullish, starting with at least on an hourly basis? And that number would be right around 281. So I would have to see the market really stay above hourly closes above 281 to make my short-term bullish comfort level stay intact. Now, if we got below that on an hourly basis, that doesn't turn the market bearish. It's just on a very short-term basis, we're trying to push to new highs. We're making new highs. We're beginning to make new recent highs. So if that begins to fail, it doesn't mean the market turns bearish. It just means it's not ready yet. Remember, 280.40 is a very, very important number, but we're nowhere near there right now, so I'm giving something in between. What's going on over in the IWN camp? So 155.70 was the number we zeroed in on a while ago. 155.75 is the close today. Is that good enough? No, it's not. The 155.70 was a made-up number. It was just a number that was somewhere in the vicinity of the 20-period moving average and the breakdown candle high at the time. So I don't want anybody to take 155.70 as gospel. In fact, we can take it off the chart. Where we are is we have to close above the high of the breakdown candle to get going, but they're working on it. They're right at the 20-period moving average once again. So they're working on it. If they fail... They fail and we go down and likely all the markets are going down at the same time. Doesn't mean it's for days or weeks. It just means that the IWM has to get through this area in order for all the markets to continue to rise. They're not going to go in opposite directions for very long. Intraday, sure. A day or two, sure, that could happen. Several days, unlikely. What's the hourly chart telling us? Well, it's telling us a couple of things. It's telling us when stretched out, not just to the last couple of hours, but when stretched out, we're really doing this. 
Okay, and we can look at a longer-term chart to see this. This is really just bantering back and forth in a bull flag pattern, and this is trying to break out higher. If we come down to the lower end of this flag range, for example, and start breaking down here, that's something different developing. But if we stay bantering back and forth, then it's really just trying to build energy for another push higher. That's the way I see this hourly chart anyway. 120-minute chart, you see the same thing compressed down, so it looks a little bit cleaner. It looks like it wants to break higher. Look at above all the moving averages now. 120-minute chart, above all the moving averages. 60-minute chart was above all the moving averages. How about 180-minute chart? Breaking out above all the moving averages. What is this telling you? Is this a bullish look or a bearish look? It can fail, but it looks like it's pushing higher. It's common sense as we start to break above moving averages and close above moving averages, we're going to try and go to the next moving average. What's the next one of significance? The daily chart. It's the 20. We're right there right now. The number is 155.72. I'm not saying this moving average is the important number. What I am saying is, if we continue to close above it and we close above the breakdown candle high, you will get buyers into the market and you're close enough to the 200 period moving average that any spark can send the IWM higher. Barring that, unless and until we close above the breakdown candle high, it's still at resistance. Now here's an example of a trade. I'm not suggesting this trade. I'm just suggesting an example of a trade and how you take a trade close to risk. Let's say a trader thought that the market was going to go down. A trader wanted to take a short position. They would look at the position of the IWM and say, we're close to a risk area. I know that if we close above the breakdown candle high, the reason for the trade is off the table. Therefore, I get out of the trade. Am I close to risk? Yes. Would I lose small and fast if I had to lose? Yes. It's the type of scenario you want. You can't really be out of the money for too long. It's at the risk level. So just one more time, that wasn't a real trade idea. That was just an example of a trade that could take place because of what the chart looks like. Was that enough of a disqualifier? What's going on over in the transportation department? Same routine. It's really the same routine as the IWM. They've been trading in tandem. The transports is the favorite canary in the coal mine for me, but you can see the similarity between the IWM chart and the transport chart, and it's not an accident that those are my two favorite market-leading indicators, whether the market's going up or down. So right now, the bigger picture is that both are lagging the overall major indices. They can play catch-up, but it's all going to depend on where they are if the actual S&P gets to some of those numbers in the hot zone that we discussed before. How about in Silicon Valley, the Qs? So of late, the Qs really have been leading everything. Not necessarily my favorite market-leading indicator, but the Qs have been leading the breakout. So when we look at it today and we say, well, where are the Qs right now? Well, they're basically in the same place they were the day before, meaning Friday. But what you can see is we really got here first meaning the Qs have had the biggest rally of all the things, all the indices that we look at. Now, here's an interesting one. 
So there's a gap that needs to be filled at 179.20. We tried it on Friday. We tried it today. They didn't fill it. The more we don't fill it and the more we just banter back and forth, the less likely it is for that gap to be real resistance. Now, that gap would have been better resistance, and it really kind of was on Friday. We made an attempt and pulled back from it. The first shot is your best shot. We don't want sloppy seconds. So at this point, I'm not interested in shorting the gap, even from an intraday scalp trading perspective. Right now, the more we just go back and forth, banter back and forth, the more likely we are to trade through that gap as long as the market remains in an uptrend and remains bullish. Now, let's qualify that for a second. Look how far away we are in the queues from the 20-period moving average. That's home base. We may need to pull back a little bit. We may need to let home base catch up to price a little bit. That's not a big deal. That's normal garden variety market behavior. What would be the reason behind that? Or what would be the made up reason behind that? Well, unlikely the market just takes off before the Fed announcement, which is Wednesday afternoon. So we have another day of trading activity, which is Tuesday. So that puts the cues still bantering back and forth in this neighborhood for the next day or day and a half or even two days. And what does that look like on the hourly chart? Well, maybe we fill a gap in the meantime. Maybe we don't. Maybe we stay above 177. We'll see what happens, but a lot of it depends on my two favorite market leading indicators, in my opinion, which is the IWM and the transports. That's, at least from my perspective, from where I sit, A lot of it depends on whether those are going to fail or whether those two are going to bust through. And it's not going to just be one of them. It's going to be either all or nothing. Financial district, what have we been discussing? Can it break above the 200 period moving average? Here we are. Nice, comfortable close above. Where are they going? They're going to fill the gap at $27.14. Is that where they're going to stop? Not if the market is levitating, not if the market is screaming higher, not if the meltup is happening. If the meltup is happening, they're going to go to 28. What's the bear case for the financials? A failure, a close back below the 200 period moving average, but you would really have to close back below the 20 to get some serious attention on the downside because it really doesn't turn bearish until you get below all the moving averages. And what do we always say about the financials? If the financials are healthy, it's unlikely the market falls apart. If the financials are falling apart, it's unlikely the market's going to continue to rise without the financials. What do we have going on here? We have a rise in the financials. We have the financials starting to break out. The Qs are breaking out. The S&P is breaking out. Everything can fail. It absolutely can. But that's not what's happening. We're just calling balls and strikes. Not what we want it to be, not what it should be, not what somebody else says it might be. We're just discussing what it is. Uh Uh-oh, a down market, the SMH, the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, which is a good proxy for the tech sector. Why wasn't it up? Everything else was up. Well, we don't care why. We just care that it is. So it's a puzzle piece and it's on the table. Is it bearish? No, absolutely not. It's above all the moving averages. All we did was fill a gap and a market or an ETF that's over $100 pulled away from the gap about a dollar. That's it. Just look at it that way for now. If we close below Friday's low, something else is developing. Now we're going to switch over a little bit. We're going to have some fun. This is more for the sane and rational thinking people. 
Tilray is one of the fan favorite pot stocks. I like discussing the pot stocks. They reported earnings after the bell. So you can see at the time I'm making this video, it's up about a buck and a half, $74. It closed down at $72.24. Okay, fair enough. So what's so fascinating about that? I haven't got there yet. Here's an hourly chart. Now here's something that's right out of the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader. It's how we use market symmetry for an exit. Doesn't have to be a total exit, but how we take profit along the way. That's how we treat the trading business as a business. Where's the likely resistance on this chart? Well, we have a couple of things going on. We have a breakdown area. So I can make an argument anywhere in here is a breakdown area. The stock broke down. We can pick a spot and say that's where it happened. It could have happened right here, officially here. It doesn't really matter the precise price. The concept from a common sense perspective is this is where the stock broke down and stocks like to come back and test former breakdown and former breakout areas. I know you've never heard that before. There also happens to be a 200 period moving average on the hourly chart right around 76.34. Now I can tell you that the stock was trading while I was making this video, so I don't know how high it went, I don't know how low it went after hours. But if I was going to look for an exit, if I was going to look for an area of resistance, could also be a short trade in concept, it's just a concept. Where would I look? I would look to the breakdown area, which happens to coincide with the 200 period moving average. Now there's a breakdown candle that comes just below the 200 period moving average. And I just picked the number 7650, which is just the next comfortable number after the 200 period moving average. It could have been 77, anywhere in this neighborhood. Let's go ahead and see what happened after hours. Here's a 10 minute chart. There's the line, 76.50. The market dropped or Tilray dropped right when they announced earnings. It ripped back up and now it pulled away from the 76.50. What happens if we look at an hourly chart? You can see here, this is the same thing that we were just looking at, only includes the pre and post market activity. Including the pre and post market activity, is that a breakdown area? Now, I didn't do this before I put the 76.50 on the chart. But what you witnessed in real time is how I come up with the numbers. When I start to use all the things that are found in the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader, and when we layer on common sense to that, and I start zeroing in on a number, and I look at it in many different ways on several different charts, and each and every chart I look at, whether it's a daily chart, an hourly chart, a 120-minute chart, any chart under the sun, and I don't use to qualify, I don't use the pre- and post-market activity when I figure out the numbers. So let's understand that. Let's be clear about that. I do not use pre-market activity. But when I start to see the same number show up over and over again in a different look on a different chart, then I know from a common-sense perspective, I'm likely going to be right. Not all the time but way more than it's going to be wrong. And when I can put that together with being close to a risk area like we discussed before, that's all I'm looking for. That's how I run the business. That's how you should run the business. That's how the business is to be run. Let's end on a pot stock. I'm David Frost. My strategic forecast 
Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.